copy of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 7, I'd invite you to open your Bible there. Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7. At this point, some of you might be wondering if we're ever going to get through the book of Hebrews if I keep going one verse at a time. Next week, we will do 8 through 12, I believe, so there will be more than one verse. Hebrews 11, verse 7, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. I've titled this message, When Faith Looks Foolish. When Faith Looks Foolish. Many people would agree that the world that we live in is in bad shape. Most of the world in which we live in is indeed a dark place. There may be a bright spot here or there, but it is dark. Of course, this is because we are sinful people who are tainted in every way by sin. And while most are not as bad as they can be, we still have descended so deep into darkness we know that apart from the grace of God, there are no bright spots in the world today. Many people know about the account of Noah and the flood. In fact, we can now go see a life-sized ark that was built after the measurements given in the Bible. It has been turned into a museum, and to be honest, it is fascinating. There you can buy all kinds of stuffed animals, and you can eat all types of food and go through a petting zoo and buy all sorts of little trinkets and all this little stuff. Who knows how many people have gone through the Ark Encounter and thought, how cute. Look at all these cute little animals that we can buy and the little plush toys. And so often we can read the account of Noah, but do we take it to heart? Do we really pay attention to what happened? Our text this morning speaks of Noah's faith and is as an example for us to follow. But here's the assessment of God on the earth at the time of Noah from Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Our world may be filled with evil today, but this can't be said of it. While every single one of us is depraved by nature and we are given naturally to evil thoughts, it's not true that every single inclination of the thoughts of every man and woman's heart are on evil all the time in the world today. But it was true in Noah's day. That was the way of the world. It was so corrupt that's why Genesis says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. 
Noah was the sole ray of light in the midst of a dark world. The author of Hebrews wants us to be imitators of Noah's faith. And interestingly enough, out of all the examples that we have in Hebrews chapter 11 of faith, this is the only one where the unseen future involves judgment and not reward. God's call on Noah to do something that seems foolish, but Noah is obedient, and because of his obedience, he avoids the judgment of God, and despite of all of the warnings, everyone else is caught off guard. There's a lot of us, or there's a lot for us to learn here about the faith of Noah and about faith in general, but before we do, I have to address a few theological things which you may or may not agree with, but they need to be dealt with up front because far too often we turn this into a nice little nursery rhyme and we miss out on the importance of this account and the redemptive history of mankind. And so before launching into the message, let me give you some theological imperatives um, that we can draw from this. First, the Bible is absolutely clear that there was a universal flood. The biblical text clearly indicates that the flood was a global judgment on all of humanity. Further, the geological features of the earth testify to the fact that there was a biblical flood, the remnants of marine life in the middle of Colorado to the formation of the Grand Canyon testifies that there was a global biblical flood. Secondly, and I know this one is hard for us to grasp, because we want to blame all floods and natural disasters on Satan or Mother Nature or whatever it might be. Even this week, I was watching the weather and they were talking about the storm and, oh, the, the storm and Mother Nature and this, that, and the other. It's, we can't blame it, everything on Mother Nature or Satan. This flood's origin is divine. It's not natural. In other words, it was not a natural disaster like any other. Now, to be clear, I do not think that every single natural disaster that ever happens is God's divinely orchestrated judgment on a city or whatever it might be. And we can't get into that, or or we're not going to get into that. We'll get into it another time if you want to. But Noah's flood was a divinely orchestrated supernatural judgment on humanity. Lastly, third, the account of the flood is an essential element of biblical theology that we cannot ignore. The flood is the archetypal example of God's judgment and the catastrophe of human sin. In fact, throughout Scripture we see that the flood or uh, the flood theologically points to God's final eschatological judgment. I say all this to say this, that if anyone ever wants to be saved, they must by faith obediently respond to God's warnings of a future judgment. And that is why this message will not neglect the fact that the flood serves as a warning for our future judgment for us today. It's important to understand the words righteousness and grace first appear in the Bible in the account of Noah. In the flood we see a symbol of judgment. In the ark we see a symbol of salvation. The focus of this text is on Noah's faith. And the result of that faith, and Noah's faith looked foolish to a lost world that was looking on. So let's get into this passage of Scripture. First, we see the certainty of faith. 
the certainty of faith. The first begins with, by faith, Noah. Now, we know that fear and obedience are also part of this verse. However, we must note that at the back of all this was faith. His faith is the reason he had fear. And his faith and fear produced obedience. The example that is set before us is the faith of Noah. I would ask the question of you this morning. Do you have faith? I would ask you to ask yourself that question. Do I have faith? Do I believe in the Son of God? Am I resting on the promises of God? Without faith, you have no part of the kingdom of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, we are accepted by God. Now here's the thing. Noah had faith before God told him about the flood. It was not like Noah lacked faith. And then God showed up and said, Hey, Noah, I'm going to wipe out the earth and I want you to build an ark. And then Noah then expressed faith. That's not what happened. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. After the Lord says that He will blot out man who created it, says this, But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Remember last week, without faith it is impossible to please God. And so Noah had faith before any of this happened. He had faith in his everyday life. Listen church, it's great to have faith in the presence of some sort of terrible trial when you're faced with it, but faith starts in your daily life. Do you express faith in God for the food you eat? Do you express faith in God for your family? For your work? Do you express faith at your job? Do you have faith in the providence of God? Do you have faith that God does answer prayer? Are you in the habit of bringing your burdens to the Lord and expressing them to Him in faith every single day? Do you express faith every day of your life? If not, what will you do when the flood of life comes? Faith must be a constant it's not just something that's kind of a casual practice in our life. You see, we need faith in the everyday, mundane. We need faith when we come to worship on Sunday, and we need faith when we head to work on Monday. You will need faith for the next week because you do not know what next week will bring. You need faith at all times, in all places, in all circumstances of life. What I am saying to you is this, that faith is necessary every single day. Not just for praying, not just for singing, not just for teaching, but we need faith for everything. Oh, may God teach us to have faith seven days a week, not just one on Sunday morning. That we would have faith every single day. Now with that said, if there was going to be a flood today, then Doppler radar would pick it up and we would see the storm coming. And they would report on it. And they would let everyone know that a flood is coming. But it wasn't that way with Noah. They didn't have Doppler radar. He believed in what he could not see. And that's what faith does. Faith believes in God for what is not seen. I want you to notice how this verse backs up. Verse 1, which says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then we read that Noah was warned by God, and what's it say? Concerning events as yet unseen. Faith is exercised on the promise. It believes in God even when it cannot see it. Not only is faith exercised on the promise, 
but is exercised on the judgment, as in this case, either we believe God or we don't believe God. The person that believes that God will not punish sin will not believe that God will pardon sin through the blood of His Son either because they have nothing to pardon. The person that refuses to believe that God will cast unbelievers into hell can have no confidence that God will take believers to heaven. If we doubt God's Word in one area, we can't have confidence in any area. Sincere faith in God trusts the complete Word of God. A faith that accepts one word and rejects another is not faith in God, but faith in our own judgment and what we want God to be. Truth faith believes everything that is revealed by the Holy Spirit, no matter if it is a joyful or distressing. And that's part of our problem today. We don't have faith to believe in the things that are distressing. We say we do. We say we actually believe in hell, but we don't. We don't actually believe what the Bible says concerning the judgment of God to the ungodly. If we did, it would chill our blood and we would do something. If we really believed in the hell that's described in the Bible, I really don't believe that we'd walk around acting like everything is okay. We wouldn't be content to do nothing and watch our family and our neighbors and our co-workers go straight to hell. But we say we believe it, but we really don't. Yet in Noah's day, we see the exact opposite. Noah believes the warning of judgment, even though it seems improbable and impossible. Before the days of Noah, there had never even been a flood. And it probably had never even rained. Most people believe that the plant life was still being watered from the earth when the water would rise up from the ground according to Genesis chapter 2. Can you imagine Noah believing in something he does not even see? Faith believes the word of the unseen God regarding unseen events and causes present obedience. There was no sea where Noah lived. He had to prepare a seagoing vessel and construct it in the desert. How crazy is that? Where is the water going to come from to float this ship? Noah must have seemed like some sort of mad old man. What kind of fool builds a massive vessel on dry land where there is no water that will ever come and float it? Noah had faith that the flood was coming. He had faith that it was real. He believed the water would come and fill the valley and prevail above the mountains and his boat would float. Noah believed it all, even though it seemed unlikely. Faith that believes the probable, anyone can have that kind of faith. But faith that believes the impossible is a faith that does not care about probability or possibility. It's a faith that rests on the Word of God. With God, all things are possible. Probability is not the groundwork for faith. But certainty is, Noah was certain of what God said, and he prepared a ship, and he looked like a fool for his faith. Alexander McLaren says it this way, The far-off flood was more real to him than the shows of life around him. Therefore, he could stand all the guides and gave himself to a course of life which was sheer folly, unless the future was real. Could the same be said of us?
is a course of our life seem like foolishness unless the promises of God's heaven and his warnings of hell are real? Faith in God believes in heaven and hell. Faith in God stores up treasure in heaven. Faith in God focuses on what is eternal, knowing that this life is a mere vapor. If the resurrection is false and heaven and hell are myths, then we are people to be pitied above all else. The world should look at our lives. They should look at our lives as Christians and, and where we spend our time and where we spend our money and what we do. And they should do the same thing that they said about Noah. That person is crazy because they live as if heaven and hell are real and as if there is an actual real judgment coming. But you know what? Look around, church. Look around. That's not how Christians live their lives. We don't live as if judgment is coming and and as if heaven and hell are real. Nobody looks at us and says, that person's nuts. Because we're okay just to be the status quo and do what we always do. Not only that, but faith believes though judgment may be delayed, it is certain. Faith believes though judgment may be delayed, it is certain. Who believed with Noah? He was alone. He preached, though no one followed him. There were no other believers. If we accept that his family believed, there were eight total, but some of those may not even believe. Noah had faith in the midst of a faithless world. Can you imagine that? Personally, I like spending time with other believers. Could you imagine having no other believers around? There was no going to church and spending time with people of like-minded faith. There was no going and singing together in the service If you were the only believer surrounded by those who call you a fool for having faith, what would you do? How would you respond? To have your faith ridiculed and made fun of if you were the only witness on earth, can you imagine that for 120 years Noah preached? And at the end of that time, not one person was ready to go on the ark. It's hard enough to go a year with no converts. But 120 years and see no one converted? He had preached apparently in vain. But his faith was still resolute. He was certain of the judgment to come. The ark would float and the world would be destroyed. He was certain of it as if it had already happened. He had faith in things that were not seen. Now let me tell you something interesting. Enoch, who we looked at last week, had a son. He had a son that he named Methuselah. Methuselah's name, which means uh, when he is dead, it will come. When he is dead, it will come. That's what Methuselah means. If you do the math in the genealogies of Genesis, you will discover that Methuselah died in the year of the flood. When Methuselah died, God's judgment came. Remember, Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. And it reveals to us that God is patient before He brings judgment on the wicked earth. In Genesis chapter 3, God says that His Spirit will not abide with man forever and His days shall be 120 years. God could have destroyed the earth right then. He could have said, man, the earth is so wicked, I'm going to destroy it. But by His grace, He delays His judgment for 120 years. While Noah builds the ark, 
Though judgment was delayed, it was certain. Peter says in Second Peter that during the end times, people will come and they will say, Where is the promise of His coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And then Peter gives an explanation. In 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's delay in judgment is because He's patient and full of grace, but we can't mistake His delay with uncertainty. Judgment is coming. Think about Noah. Noah could have said 120 years is a long way off. I have all kinds of time. He didn't say that because he was certain of God's coming judgment. When Noah heard the warning of God's judgment, he started building the ark. And it took him over a century to complete it. And those looking on thought he was a fool. But then the sky opened up and it began to pour rain and the fountains of the deep opened up and the earth was flooded. But by then it was too late for those who lack faith. You see, faith believes, though judgment may be delayed, it is certain. Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew 24. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. In Noah's time, people went on with their everyday, normal lives. They ignored the repeating warning of judgment to come until it was too late. And it's no different today. And how it will be in the future. The book of Revelation makes it clear that the world will continue in its evil way doing business as usual, pursuing their own sinful pleasure, scoffing at the idea of coming judgment, and yet in one hour judgment will fall and it will be utterly devastating. Revelation 18 is a promise that godless worldliness will be judged, calling the worldly to repent and calling believers to separate themselves from the world's idolatry. Faith believes that though judgment may be delayed, it is certain. So we must ask, what are we going to do about it? If our faith actually believes that judgment is delayed, but it's actually coming, it is real, what are we going to do about it? Well, faith holds firm in the face of worldly condemnation. Faith holds firm in the face of worldly condemnation. Noah could believe the world that's filled with evil living sinful lifestyles, or he could believe what God said concerning judgment. Noah put his confidence not in the judgment of the world, but in the judgment of God, and he builds the ark. And as I've already stated, as far as we know, there was no one else to stand with Noah, except for his family. And though Scripture does not record it, there's no doubt that Noah was ridiculed. He spent all kinds of money and all kinds of time building this massive ship on dry ground. You think that just... Wood just appeared to him and everything he needed it was just there. And he built this ship miles from water. Can you imagine the spectacle it must have been? What do you want to do today, kids? Hey, let's go watch that crazy old man Noah working on that boat. 
I mean, people probably gathered around to see it happen. Can you imagine the people as Noah would tell them of coming judgment? Judgment's coming. Hey Noah, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building a boat because judgment is coming. Yeah, right. Why don't you just go hang out in your coffin that you call a ship and stop preaching to us? But Noah's faith held firm. And even though he looked like a fool, on the scale of crazy, he was off the charge. But faith holds firm in the face of the world when the world condemns us. Even though he had no friends to help him, no one to give him support. Noah wasn't like, oh, I don't have any buddies to help me build this boat. Oh, it's terrible. Even though he worked for over a century, and even though the world thought he was a nut job, his faith held firm. His faith allowed him to escape judgment. Faith is required to escape the judgment of God that is yet to come to this evil world. And if you must stand alone, and even if you must endure the condemnation of the world, your faith must hold firm, church. The basis of our faith is the Word of God, and we can take it to the bank. Judgment is coming. And our faith must be certain. Not only do we see the certainty of faith, but we notice the effects of faith. Part of verse 7 says this, In reverent fear, he constructed an ark. It was faith that shaped his believing. And fear moved him into action. The effects of faith brought about the obedience in his life. Noah's faith became evident when he began to build the ark. It was faith in practice. Noah's faith was certain about the coming judgment and the effect of the certainty of his faith was a reverential fear and a complete obedience. I would urge you the effects of this complete obedience speak to us today. First, we see this, a reverential fear. I want to take a moment here and talk about fear when it says that Noah has a reverent fear. Noah was not afraid of God like God is some sort of scary monster waiting to crush humanity. Instead, Noah knew who God was and had a reverence for God. Noah was not careless and refused to give in to the sensual pleasures of this world. Instead, he had a reverence for God, not a servile fear of God, but fear like a child has when they want, uh, when they don't want to displease their father. True fear tends to paralyze, but Noah was moved into action. He builds an ark. You see, Noah knew no one could save him but God, and that God told him to prepare an ark, and so an ark he prepared because of his reverence for God. Noah's fear was based on the fact that he knew God was sovereign over all things, and as he looked at an evil world filled with filthy sin, he could not help but wonder, how could God be so long-suffering? God, how can you put up with this world? And when God revealed to Noah that he was going to destroy the world by a flood, Noah's faith probably said, I knew this day was coming. And he was fearful because he knew that the day was coming when God would stretch forth his vengeance and flood the world. And it would happen. And everything he knew would be gone. I would venture to guess that if we even caught a glimpse of the holiness of God and the filthiness of our sin in His sight, we too would be fearful. Noah knew the wrath of God to come. He knew how awful it would be. 
He heard the cries of men and women who were swept off their feet by the flood. He heard the cries of those trying to swim in their agony, giving way to death and sinking to their doom. Don't you think that as he thought of all that was going to happen, that he was fearful when the day came to his heart, it must have been crushed because he knew what was going to happen. He had a holy reverential fear of God. And the judgment of God on sinful humanity. How I wish we would have such a fear. Oh, that we would fear God because of His greatness. Oh, that we'd fear God because He is holy. That we'd fear God because of our sinfulness. Let us be fearful that we might fall into sin. Let us never say that we will never fall into, be, into sin. Because when we say that we will not fall into sin, we are likely to slip. Those who think they are least likely to fall are the ones who fall. Even Noah, after this, was found drunk and laying in his tent naked. Lot commits incest. David commits adultery and murder. Peter, who said he would never forsake Jesus, denies him three times. Just this week, in the Southern Baptist Convention, we had a president of one of our seminaries have accusations leveled against him. Don't for an instant... Trust in yourself and say that you cannot fall. Have a daily reverential fear of the Lord. Have such a fear that you will be obedient to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to not fall. But Noah did not just stop there with his reverential fear because the effect of his faith also brought about a complete obedience. The verse says, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Faith and fear led him to do as the Lord commanded. When reverential fear concurs with faith, it brings forth fruit. Noah had complete obedience. When it says he constructed an ark, it's not some little fishing boat. Okay? Noah didn't make some little fishing boat and, hey guys, let's go fishing. I don't know if you ever watched the show NCIS, but if you do, you know that Jethro Gibbs has in his basement a boat. And he goes down there, and he works on his boat. And it's not a little scale model. It's a, it's a boat. And I always wonder, how do you get the boat out of the basement? But he's always down there, has a boat, working on it. Well, Noah was not constructing some little fishing boat, but an ocean liner. It was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. If you ever go to the Ark Encounter, I would encourage you to do so. It's a two-scale replica. The thing is enormous. It was not some sort of weekend hobby either. Like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go work on this boat on the weekend. It consumed his life for 120 years. Can you imagine what his wife thought? That's why I always wonder. Hey, honey, I'm going to build this boat. What? You know, I, that's just things that go through my mind. In the Genesis account, we're told that Noah did all that God commanded him. Listen, Noah proved his faith by his obedience. I love what Charles Spurgeon said when he said this, Carelessness can't tread the highway 
of holiness. Faith produces complete obedience. There must be determination and thought and care and attention. And faith must work with all of these to produce obedience in our life. Let me be clear. You never have faith by accident. We are never obedient by chance. We must want our heart to be prepared by the Lord and He will grant it. Stop and think if you had money to invest. And you're going to spend a significant sum of money. How much research would you do? You would make sure that you are making the smartest decision possible. But when it comes to our faith, we're not careful at all. In fact, we don't care whether we're obedient or not. We just kind of do our own thing. But true faith produces complete obedience. Noah obeys at all costs. Think of all the excuses he could have came up with. Well, Lord, it's going to cost a lot of money. God, this just isn't feasible. Have you really thought this plan through, God? Do you know how much time it's going to take? How in the world am I going to support my family building this ark? Will this thing even float? But people are going to laugh at me. Noah sunk everything he had into the ark. He had complete obedience. Can that be said of us? You see, church, too often we think that faith is somewhere out there. Somehow, faith isn't practical. But Noah's faith is practical. He cut down trees. He used a hammer and a saw. Whatever else it took to make the ship, his faith cost him time and money and resources and ridicule for over a century. Peter tells us that during this time, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So not only did he build the ark, but he proclaimed the righteousness of God. He never allowed the crowd to stop his faith. He instead had complete obedience to the command of God. Listen, there are those that, can, that, that will say to you that you can receive Jesus as Savior, but it's not necessary to receive Him as Lord. And I understand why they say that. Because they're trying hard to maintain the biblical teaching that salvation is by faith alone, apart from any works. However, they are mistaken about the nature of saving faith. We indeed are saved by faith alone, but genuine saving faith will always result in a radical change of your heart and your habits. We are saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. It will result in good works. If not, it's a dead faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that anyone can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, Noah could have said, I believe God. I believe He's going to send a flood. I believe what He said. And I believe that He will judge the earth. And this terrible flood is coming. That's what He could have said. I believe it with all my heart. With everything I have, I believe it. In fact, I believe it so much, I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach how God's going to judge the world. And I'm going to, I'm going to have a Bible study on how God's going to judge the world. And I'm going to offer some counseling and I'm going to give some flood insurance because I believe it so much. I really, really believe it. But if he didn't build the ark, and he didn't climb on board the boat, he would have perished in the flood just like everyone else. To save himself and his household, his faith had to produce obedience. Faith had to produce obedience. Works. If not, 
He would have died like everyone else. In the same way, a faith that will save from the wrath of God to come has a reverential fear and a complete obedience to Jesus Christ that says, yes, Lord, I believe what you did on the cross. Therefore, I will live a life of obedience to you. Which is why Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? Obey my commandments. Faith is not free from obedience. It is obedience. It is practice through a life of obedience. Lastly, the results of faith. The results of faith. 120 years of preaching and no converts. What could possibly be the results of this faith? 120 years of building a ship and no water to float it. 120 years of warning people of a judgment to come and no flood. It would seem that Noah was a failure. Have you ever watched any of those shows um, where these people are they're called preppers and they prepare for doomsday scenarios? If somebody's a prepper in here, I'm not making fun of you. Okay? But they prepare for doomsday scenarios. They're getting ready. No doubt that's what people thought about Noah. Oh, he's just an alarmist. Look at this fool building this boat. He's crazy. He's been preaching the same thing for 120 years. And nothing has ever happened. It's not going to happen now. You can see the people yelling. Hey, Father Noah! When's that flood coming again? It's been over a hundred years. We sure could use some rain or whatever that stuff's called. I'm sure when this happens, it's going to be a doozy. He didn't silence Noah. He didn't stop him. He kept on repeating his warning. He kept on building the ship. God's time was coming. The storm was gathering. And before long, a godless world would be wiped out. And Noah's faith looked awful foolish until the rain began to fall. And even though it looked foolish, it had results. It had results. By faith, Noah and his family were saved. By faith, Noah and his family are saved. I want to be clear, the Genesis account does not mention the spiritual salvation of Noah's family. It does make clear that they were saved from the drowning in the flood. However, at the very least, his wife and his sons and their wives must have believed what Noah told them, or they would never have joined in building the ark. All of his sons were born after he began building the ark. They grew up watching their father work on the ark. And it would have been easy for them to be embarrassed by their nut job father and be influenced by the world and say, so long, Dad. They could have moved elsewhere. They could have stayed away from the father and they would have died in the flood, but they believed enough to stay and help build it and even get on board the ark. When God gave the command, the faith of Noah had a powerful effect on his family. And parents, I would stress to you today that your faith will have the most significant impact on your children more so than anything else in this world. And if you lack faith and you refuse to live 
your faith out in front of your children, they will know it. Do you cry out to God for the salvation of your children? Do you demonstrate faith for them to see in your life? Scripture does not guarantee that all children will be saved, that all our children will be saved. Proverbs does say if we train them up in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. But like all Proverbs, it's not a guarantee. It's a promise for people to do something. It's a general rule. Though we do not have any guarantees, I would say this. The Bible is clear that a godly father has a powerful influence on his children. And the Bible declares that Noah was a righteous man who walked with God in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. We need fathers to be such a man. And it will have a powerful influence towards the salvation of our children in this evil generation. By faith, Noah and his family were saved. By faith, Noah condemned the world. The world that scoffed at Noah was condemned. The righteous life of Noah had exposed their unrighteous lives. Noah did not have some sort of judgmental, holier-than-thou attitude towards the people of his day. He simply lived by faith, knowing that he was a sinner saved by the grace of God. Noah was obedient in his faith, and his faith shined brightly in a dark world. It's kind of like when you're in the middle of a dark room, and you turn on a flashlight, it exposes what is around you. That is what Noah did. His faith exposed their lack of faith. No one could say that they did not know because no one was an example of a life lived by faith. Think about that for a moment. One man's faith served to condemn the world. Even though he, he pleaded with them, they chose to perish. Their blood is on their own heads. It also reveals to us that if God is with you, though you may be the only one, you're still the majority. As followers of Christ, we should never seek to be judgmental in our spirit Towards a sinful world. In that I mean this. In our attitude and in our speech. We should not stoop to a level of wickedness. Treating sinners nastily. Except for the grace of God. We would be in the exact same position. However. We must understand that as a light in a dark world. It is inevitable. That we will expose evil deeds around us. In Ephesians chapter 5. Paul tells us. Sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness. Must not even be named among you. As is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness. Or foolish talk. Nor crude joking. Which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving. He then says this. Because of these things. The wrath of God. Comes upon the sons of disobedience. He goes on to say. Walk as children in light. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul's making it clear that as believers, we are to be distinct from the world in our lives. Our lives should not be characterized by the exact same things that characterizes someone that is a sinner condemned to hell. We stay away from these sins mentioned. That they're not even named among us. Some people try to say, well, I need to know what the world is watching and what the world is doing so I can intelligently engage those people in the world. No, you don't. You can read reviews about stuff. I refuse to watch any movie with any nudity in it whatsoever because that garbage has no business being in my life. Live a life of faith in such a way that your faith stands to shed light into a dark world. When people ask about your standard and your life, you can tell them about the holiness of God and the judgment to come. Some will say, we, 
We can't remove ourselves from the world and they are right. But you can remove the world from yourself. Noah was in the world. But he built an ark in the desert to avoid the judgment of God. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. By faith, Noah became the heir of righteousness. This word righteousness is actually used in two separate ways in the Bible. One way means imputed righteousness. That is when a person trusts Christ as their Savior and God credits the righteousness of Christ to their account. It's a judicial action where God not only declares us not guilty, but He also declares us righteous because we have received a righteousness that is not ours because it's the righteousness of Jesus. That is imputed righteousness. And that is how it is used in this text, speaking of Noah, imputed on him. He has the righteousness of Christ. The word righteousness is also used of right conduct that comes from being declared righteous by faith. And so when we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, that Noah was righteous and blameless, it is a reference to the life that he lived that flowed out of being declared righteous. And so Noah lived a life That was righteous because he was righteous because he was declared righteous by his faith. This is important because Noah did not find favor with God because he lived a righteous life. God didn't look at Noah and go, oh, I see Noah living a righteous life. Therefore, I declare him righteous. But rather, because he found favor with God, because Noah found favor with God, he lived a righteous life. Noah is not declared righteous by his works but rather his works flowed from his faith and proved that he was righteous. By faith, Noah, as adopted into the family of God, just like anyone else, he believed in the promise of the woman's seed from Genesis chapter 3. All he would have known is that promise and the sacrifice of a lamb to cover the sin. There was no other revelation and he believed. There was no Pentateuch, there was no Psalms, There were no Gospels. There were no Epistles. None of that existed. But he believed the Word of God that he knew. And Christ would one day bruise the serpent and God honored his faith. Noah was an heir of righteousness by his faith and received the reward of inheritance. When he died, he received Christ's reward. And when we die, As believers, we are in Christ and heirs with Him. And one day we will receive the inheritance when we are in heaven with Him forever. A few points of application and we'll be done. Just like the ark was the only way of salvation from God's judgment for Noah and his family, so the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way that God has provided for salvation from the judgment that is to come. And though that judgment may be delayed, it is certain. Everyone that was on board of the ark was saved. And everyone that was not on board was lost. Everyone who trusts in the blood of Jesus Christ will be saved. Everyone who doesn't will be lost. Wherever there is faith, there is light. That light comes from those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone else is lost. We're not good enough to earn our salvation. The question is, 
Have you obediently responded in faith to God's warning of the coming judgment? God has issued the warning. The storm of His judgment is coming. The door of His ark is still open. Run to Christ to be saved or ignore the warning and be lost forever. That's the warning, church. That's the warning. That's the warning we should be delivering to everyone that we know. The warning is, run to Jesus for salvation or face God's judgment and wrath forever. Hell is not just a separation from God. Hell is a separation from the love of God because God is present in hell pouring His wrath out on sinful man. That is just crazy to think about. That is what people face without Christ. Do you believe God's judgment is real? And it's really going to happen. Or are we content to just sit here and say, well, I went to church on Sunday, did my thing for this week. So if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would urge you, today is the day of salvation. God's judgment is certain. And though it may be delayed, it is coming and you don't know when. Secondly, if you are here this morning and you have the certainty of your faith, then I would urge you to imitate the faith of Noah. I would urge you to be obedient and a witness for the glory of Christ. I would urge you to take your faith and be strong and that it would be evident. I would, I would ask you, does your faith this morning look foolish to an outside world that's looking in. Do people that see your faith, do they say, that person is a fool for believing what they believe? The truth has always been and will forever be, church. The righteous will live by faith. Are you walking by faith today? In a moment, we're going to sing a song. Maybe this morning you would say, I've never given my life to Christ. I've never trusted in Christ as my Savior. Judgment is coming. And I will give you the opportunity to do that. You can come down here and grab my hand and say, Pastor, I need Jesus. And I'll talk to you afterwards. Or maybe this morning you would confess and you would say, I don't live my life. People look at, I just look like everybody else. I just look like the rest of the world. I say hell is real, but I obviously don't believe it. I say judgment's real, but apparently I don't believe it because I'm not sharing it with anybody. And if you're not sharing it, I don't know that you believe it's real. I would almost go so far as to say, I don't even know if you're saved. Do you have faith? Are you living it out? Let's close a prayer.